Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying Podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins here. I hope all of you out there are continuing to stay safe. I hope all of you out there are continuing to socially distance yourselves and wear your mask, regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not. We are all still in the middle of this pandemic. I just want all of you out there to be smart and be safe and not be stupid. Man, we got a lot to go over on this show today. Um, I mean... <laughs> this whole Brian Flores situation has completely taken over what was supposed to simply be about super, be about Super Bowl 56 and the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. I'm going to get to that in a little bit, but really quickly, I want to go over the the um the conference championship games which were really really good. Conference championship weekend in the NFL was awesome. And I want to start out by talking about the Rams and the 49ers. This Rams 49ers game was really, really good. It was really physical. It was in your face. It was intense. And ultimately, how the game started with Matthew Stafford throwing that pick in the end zone to Jimmy Ward was how the game ended with Jimmy Garoppolo throwing a just a just inexcusable interception, which pretty much in which pretty much ended. Jimmy Garoppolo's career in San Francisco. But I want to talk about a few little details inside the game that really came to my attention. As we all know, like I said before, Matthew Stafford started the game by throwing a pick or, or started the second possession for the Rams in this game by throwing a pick to Jimmy Ward. I said this last week on the show. I said that the 49ers and Rams game would simply come down to which quarterback can avoid making the big mistake first. Well, what the hell? Like I said before, Matthew Stafford started the game by throwing a pick, and Jimmy Garoppolo ended the game by throwing a pick. So you can pretty much cancel both of those, uh, cancel that entire thing out. But there were a few things that really caught my eye in this game. This game really showed me that both teams were were not so much nervous, but both teams were so hyped up for this game that both teams really could not, uh, neither team could really grab momentum in this game. And if you go back and you really pay attention, Jimmy Garoppolo, on the first possession of the game, he literally had George Kittle square down the middle of the field wide open. Perfect ball, George Kittle drops it. If George Kittle catches that ball, okay, and and scores a touchdown on that play, the 49ers have a lot of momentum. Okay? They they would they would have momentum on top of the momentum they would eventually end up grabbing when they took the 17 to 7 lead. But take that into the equation. On top of that, with the Rams, Matthew Stafford getting a couple of possessions, Odell Beckham Jr. dropping, uh, dropping, a, uh, dropping, a, dropping a crucial pass. Excuse me, Cooper Cup dropping a pass. Matthew Stafford in the middle of the second quarter, or probably the beginning halfway point of the second quarter, hits Ben Skoranek down the down the middle of the field on a beautiful skinny post route, and Ben Skoranek drops it. At this point. In this game, I'm literally thinking to myself, okay, these two teams are nervous as hell. 
Yes, they're divisional rivals, but they're nervous as hell. A trip to the Super Bowl is on the line in this game. And it's re- and if you really pay attention, the first half really wasn't about the defenses, even though the defenses kind of put their imprint on this game. It was literally about both teams' offenses just not being able to find their rhythm because of how anxious and how nervous both of these teams were. And you really did not get a feel for, okay, now we got a football game until Matthew Stafford hit Cooper Cup in the back right corner of the end zone for a touchdown for the Rams to take a 7 to nothing lead. Then after that, that's when the 49ers and their defense just started taking over this game. And that's when the 49ers offense started to feed off of that. And that's when Debo Samuel put up a touchdown. That's when the 49ers put up a field goal and then put up another touchdown to go up 17-7. to And then after that, as you saw Aaron Donald on the sideline, he got so pissed off and so frustrated that you could see him started to, started to rally the team together and rally, rally his teammates together and pretty much say, look, I'm tired of losing to these guys. And what happened? The Rams came out, and they outscored the 49ers 13 to nothing in the second half of that football game, which eventually led to Jimmy Garoppolo, who I'm going to talk about a little bit later on in the show. Jimmy Garoppolo, on the last possession of the game, which he's one of the best in the league yet. He's literally one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the league when it comes to the end of a football game and leading a team down the field to win the game. But but Jimmy Garoppolo had a chance to win the game, and it, it, it kind of almost looked like Jimmy Garoppolo panicked. That's what it kind of looked like to me. It almost kind of looked like he panicked a little bit, and he threw one of the more just one of the more inexcusably horrible interceptions you will ever see. And that's that's the way the 49ers season ended. The Rams got the big crucial stop that they needed, and they finally got over the hump with beating Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers after six straight losses. And the Rams are 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 the second team in NFL history to host a home Super Bowl. So congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams. Next up, the AFC Championship game. In my opinion, and I really, really mean this, the Chiefs collapsed. There's nothing more that needs to be said other than that. The Chiefs collapsed. And there are a few things that I take away from this game with the Bengals and the Chiefs. In the first half of this game, it looked like the Bengals were trying to play ball control offense, get their running game going with Joe Mixon and Samaji P. Ryan. And it looked like it just was not working because every time they would go ball control, ball control, ball control, ball control, they would give the ball right back to Kansas City's offense. Kansas City would get the ball back, drive right down the field, touchdown to Miko Hardman, touchdown to Travis Kelsey, touchdown to Tyreek Hill, and just like that, the Chiefs are up 21 to 3. But as I'm watching this game, I'm literally saying to, I'm literally saying this as I'm watching the Bengals just try to play ball control. I'm literally saying to myself, the Bengals need to open up this offense. They need to open it up, open it up, open it up, because that's what got them to this point. Opening up the offense, 
And then when you need to run the football, when you need to have some balance, run the ball with Joe Mixon and Samaji P. Ryan to mix up your, your ability to open up the offense. And what happened? Middle of the second quarter, or kind of towards the middle of the second quarter, the Bengals started opening up the, opening up the offense, which eventually led to Joe Burrow hitting Samaji P. Ryan on a screen pass, 41 yards, touchdown, uh, touchdown, Bengals cut the lead from 21 to 10 to 21 to 3. Or from, excuse me, from 21 to 3, 21 to 10. This is where the momentum changed. In uh, end of the first half, Chiefs are up 21-10, five seconds left inside the five-yard line. If the Chiefs kicked the field goal, they would have gone up 24-10, to 10, and they would have gotten the ball to start the second half with all the momentum in the world and the ability to literally put the nail in the coffin. But what did Kansas City do? They did the complete opposite. They got cute, and they got greedy, and they ended up getting absolutely no points out of what was a horrible play that they called. Patrick Mahomes tried to hit Tyreek Hill on the flat. Tyreek Hill did not gain any yards out of that play. He did not even get out of bounds. Chiefs get no points out of this drive. They get they they they, they don't even get a field goal. Bengals going to the half with with momentum. Right then and there, I thought to myself, that is huge. The Bengals had the Bengals had momentum going into the second half. What happened? Start of the second half. Chiefs really aren't able to get anything going offensively. Neither were the Bengals. But if you really, if you go back and you pay attention, the the Chiefs started to get frustrated, and this goes all the way back to the first half. In the first half, Miko Hardman. If you go back and watch him, Miko Hardman and Tyreek Hill are on the sideline, kind of talking a little bit, kind of having a conversation, and you can tell they were arguing a little bit. Tracy Wolfson reported on the sideline that Miko Hartman was frustrated about not getting his catches. Here's my issue with that. Miko Hartman had scored a touchdown previously to put the Chiefs up 21-3. to He had previously caught a 50-plus yard bomb down the left sideline in the first half. Here's my issue with that. Miko Hartman, do you care about winning football games or do you want to continue to bitch and complain about your catches? Make up your mind because you can't have it both ways. And then in the second half, you could see Tyran Matthew on the sideline getting frustrated. Or excuse me, uh, excuse me, uh, Tyron Matthew in the field of play getting frustrated. And you could see him kind of getting into it a little bit with some of the Bengals players or with, with the Bengals players offensively. The Bengals started to gain momentum. Kick the field goal, cut the lead from 21 to 10 to 21 13. They get the ball back and they go back down the field. And the Bengals put up another touchdown, hitting hitting Jamar, uh, Joe Burrow, hitting Jamar Chase, cutting the lead from 21 to 13 to 21 19 to get a two point conversion. They tied the game at 21 all, heading into the fourth quarter. Now we got a football game. And, and as we all know, as we all know, the Bengals drive down the field. Kick a field goal, make it twenty-four to twenty-one, and here's where here's where it really got crazy. Towards the end of the game, fast forward towards the end of the game, the Chiefs literally. If you really go back and you really pay attention, um, a lot of my football nerds will understand where I'm coming from when I say this, or when I break this down. If you go back and you watch this game, fast forward to the last five minutes of the game, the Chiefs have the football. They literally. Try to drain the clock down 
And it literally, it looked like they tried to, they tried not to score on purpose. Or if they tried to score on purpose, they tried to score on purpose with very little time left. Within the last five minutes of this game, they get down inside the 10 yard line and it almost looked like they tried not to score with with a lot of time left on the clock. And the fact that they tried not to score with a lot of time left on the clock and the fact that they tried to drain as much clock as possible to keep the ball away from Joe Burrow and the Bengals, it was almost it was almost like the Bengals were daring them to run the football because because and I almost guarantee you this was going to happen. Had the Chiefs ran the football this is why they and and honestly, if you go back and watch this, this and, and if you go back and watch this, you'll know what I'm talking about. The Chiefs, the Chiefs did not run the football. Why? Because if they'd have ran the football, Bengals players would have tried. Bengals defenders would have tried to have grabbed Jarek McKinnon and pulled him into the end zone intentionally to make him score to leave to leave time for Joe Burrow on the clock to drive back down the field before before the end of regulation and end the game with a game-winning field goal. That's why the Chiefs tried to drain the clock down as much as they could to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes, um, to keep the ball away from Joe Burrow. But that didn't happen. The Chief, uh, Patrick Mahomes got sacked twice, and the Chiefs ended up having to kick a field goal, which eventually led to the game going to overtime. Patrick Mahomes tried to force a ball down the left down the field to Tyreek Hill, who was getting double teamed. It got picked off by Vaughn Bell. The Bengals ended up getting the ball back. They drive down the field. They kick a field goal. Evan McPherson is still perfect. And the Bengals ended up winning this game and heading to Super Bowl 56 to take on the Los Angeles Rams. Bottom line is this. The Kansas City Chiefs collapsed. And and also, I'm going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs a little bit later on in the show, too. But those are my takeaways, ladies and gentlemen. Those are my takeaways from NFL Conference Championship Weekend. I cannot wait for the Super Bowl, as I know a lot of y'all out there can't, uh, can't, uh, can't wait for. But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to talk about this Brian Flores situation. And I'm going to get real with y'all on this. And I'm also going to talk to you guys about why Jimmy Garoppolo's career in San Francisco was meant to end the way that it did. That's coming up. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I want to talk about this Brian Flores situation. But before I give you guys my honest opinion on this, I want to give you guys all the information that I possibly can and so that you guys have it and that you guys know, okay, these are the reasons why Brian Flores is filing this lawsuit against the NFL against the Broncos, against the Giants, and against the Dolphins. Starting with the text message conversation between Bill Belichick and Brian Flores that kicked this whole thing off with this class action lawsuit. Here's the text message conversation between Bill Belichick and Brian Flores three days before Flores went in or was going to go in for his sham-ass interview with the New York Giants. Here's a text. Me- here's a text message conversation. Bill Belichick, sounds like you've landed. Congrats, Brian Flores. Did you hear something I didn't hear? Bill Belichick, Giants. Brian Flores, I interview on Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. Bill Belichick, got it. 
I hear from Buffalo and the New York Giants that you're their guy. Hope it works out for you if you want it to. Brian Flores, that's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, Coach. Thank you. Coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian Daybolt? Just making sure. Bill Belichick, sorry, I effed this up. I double-checked and misread the text. I think they're naming Daybolt. I'm sorry about that. Brian Flores, thanks, Bill. Here's my thing about this whole situation with the New York Giants. Bottom line is this. The New York Giants should be embarrassed. They look bad, and they look bad in this entire situation, okay? Just like the other two teams. But the New York Giants should be embarrassed, should be humiliated, and they look horrible in this situation. Why? Because you were going to bring Brian Flores in for this sham-ass interview knowing damn well he wasn't going to get the job to begin with and knowing that you had already hired Brian Daybolt. Okay? And not only that, the per- and not only that, one of the people who was a pillar in your organization and Bill Belichick, one of the men who coached in your organization for a long period of time, Bill Belichick pretty much outed on you and pretty much snitched on you. They pretty much snitched on you. They they pretty much outed you in this situation. And not only that, Bill Belichick, in my opinion, as big of a mistake that he made, as big of a mistake that Bill Belichick made, he actually helped Brian Flores out because he saved Brian Flores from embarrassing himself and making himself look like an idiot. So the Giants look bad. Bill Belichick pretty much outed the New York Giants. And not only that, as much of a mistake as Bill Belichick made, he saved Brian Flores from looking like from looking like a complete from looking like a complete idiot and humiliating himself. Next up, the Denver Broncos. The according to the Denver Broncos, also in this claim, excuse me, according to Brian Flores, in this lawsuit, Brian Flores was supposed to interview for the head coaching job with the Denver Broncos in 2019. According to this lawsuit, in this in this lawsuit, there's a claim that when Brian Flores went in for an interview with the Denver Broncos in 2019, John Elway and a few Broncos executives not only showed up to the interview late, but they showed up to the interview disheveled and hung over from the night before from being out drinking and being out. That's, that is not a good look for, for John Elway and the Denver Broncos. That is not a good look for them at all. Okay? That is not a good look. And not only that, it probably gives a lot of other front office uh, front offices around the league a bad name because who's to say that this hasn't happened in other organizations with other front with other high ranking front office people in other organizations around the league so this makes John Elway and the Broncos look bad but the Broncos responded to Brian Flores's class action class class action say that 10 times lawsuit against them with this response quote 
The allegations from Brian Flores directed towards the Denver Broncos in today's court filing are, are blatantly are blatantly false. Our interview with Mr. Flores regarding our head coaching position began promptly at the scheduled time of 7.30 a.m. on January 5th, 2019 in Providence, Rhode Island, in a Providence, Rhode Island hotel. There were five Broncos executives present in the, present in the present for the interview, which lasted approximately three and a half hours, the fully allotted time and concluded shortly before 11 a.m. Pages of detailed notes, analysis and evaluations from our interview demonstrated the depth of our conversation and sincere interest in Mr. Flores as head, as a head coaching candidate. Our process was thorough and fair to determine the most qualified candidate for our head coaching position. The Broncos will vigorously defend the integrity and values of our organization and its employees from such baseless and disparaging claims. Bottom line is this with the Denver Broncos. When you when you have a bunch of high-ranking officials in an organization, you can't embarrass yourselves. You can't. Because it makes you and the organization look bad. And this makes the Broncos organization look bad. And like I said before, who's to say that this has probably not happened in other organizations with other high-ranking front office officials around the NFL when it comes to interviewing black candidates? Who's to say that? Who, who's to say it has not happened? Just throwing that out there. Lastly, here's the most here's the most damning the, the most damning allegations out of all of this and out of this entire situation when it comes to this Brian Flores lawsuit and it pertains to the Miami Dolphins. According to uh, from Bleacher Report, Brian Flores says Steve owner Stephen Ross offered him a hundred a hundred thousand dollars. Per Dolphins lost to Tank in 2019, which, by the way, was his first year of being a head coach after the season after the, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, which he was the defensive coordinator of that football team, by the way. But here, but here it is. Quote, in the suit, Flores representatives say that the seeds of his firing this offseason were laid in his first year with the team in 2019, when team owner Stephen Ross offered him $100,000 for each of the Dolphins' losses as they embarked on a total rebuild, Miami would Miami wound up finishing 5-11, and and Flores said he was told by general manager Chris Greer that Ross was quote-unquote mad at the Dolphins' success because it was compromising the team's draft position. Not only that, Here's another damning allegation. The suite also in the, the suit, excuse me, <laughs> the suit also includes allegations about Ross pushing for the franchise to land an, an unnamed prominent cornerback, quarterback, in in contravention of the NFL rules. Quote at the quote after the end of the 2019 season, Mr. Ross began to pressure Mr. Flores to recruit a prominent quarterback in violation of league tampering rules. Mr. Flores repeatedly refused to comply with these improper directives. Undeterred in the winter of 2020, Mr. Ross invited Mr. Flores onto a yacht for lunch. Shortly after he arrived, Mr. Ross told Mr. Flores that the prominent quarterback was conveniently arriving at the marina. 
Obviously, Mr. Ross had attempted to set up a perpetually impromptu meeting between Flores and the prominent quarterback. Mr. Flores refused the meeting and left the yacht immediately. After the incident, Mr. Flores was treated with disdain and held out as someone who was noncompliant and difficult to work with. Bottom line is this, and I'm going to say this, and I really, really mean this. There is no amount of money in the world that is going to force me to force me to purposefully tank football games. And for Stephen Ross to 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 have that kind of mindset and that kind of attitude shows how pathetic of a human being he is. Really, it does. You for you like honestly, how do you sleep at night? knowing that you've done something like that to somebody. You walk up to your first-year head coach, and you say to him, I'm going to pay you $100,000 to lose games for the remainder of the season to better our draft position so we can get to a talk of Iowa. Who, by the way, in back-to-back years, Brian Flores won games with Tua and a whole, and a messed up quarterback situation in general. And not only that, Brian, Brian Flores refused. He refused to be a part of that impromptu meeting with the quote with this quote unquote unnamed prominent quarterback that you wanted. And you were willing to break the rules to get him. And Brian Flores wasn't having it. So what did you do? You try to sabotage Brian Flores by sent by you try to sabotage Brian Flores because he refused to do what you wanted him to do, which was break the rules. So what did you do, Stephen Ross? You went out and you tried to sabotage this man, this black man. You tried to sabotage him and make it seem like he was difficult to work with when in reality he was not going to break the rules and he was not going to sabotage his coaching career to to benefit to benefit you and to make you happy he was not going to do that he just wasn't so you try to sabotage this man and then you fire him come on man that come on come on man the fact that Stephen Ross even sleeps at night knowing that he has done knowing that he knowing that it's out now that he's done something like this it it is it is absolutely pathetic. It is absolutely pathetic. The Miami Dolphins should be embarrassed. These players and these coaches do not go out here week in and week out for five for for four to five months at a time, Monday through Saturday, busting their asses in practice putting game plans together on Sunday to go out and and purposefully tank football games. That's not what these coaches and these players do. And for these owners, because Hugh Hugh Jackson has now come out and said the same thing about Jimmy Haslam, that Jimmy Haslam paid him to lose games on purpose. These players and these coaches do not go out to tank these football games on purpose just to please these owners. Now, I'm going to sit now, now I'm going to say this. And I really really mean this. The Rooney rule, the Rooney rule is not authentic. The Rooney rule the Rooney rule has only benefited one head coach in the last 15 to 20 years and that's Mike Tomlin. We can all agree on that and that's obvious, okay? But 
You cannot sit up here and tell me that there are not owners in the NFL who every time they interview a black coach, they are interviewing him just to check the box, knowing damn well that they know in their mind that that coach, that that coach has no chance of getting a head coaching job. Look at David Culley. David Culley came into the Houston Texans organization as screwed up as that organization was. The Houston Texans said to him, David Culley, Deshaun Watson don't want to play for us no more. We wet the bed. We're a dysfunctional organization. Come in and save us. Come in and save us. And if you can't, you're gone after a year. And what happened? David Culley went 4-12 and or 2-14, and I think, and they fired him. Bottom line is this. Brian Flores is doing this for a specific reason. He is put he put this lawsuit together for change. Brian Flores, whether whether he's successful in this lawsuit or not, I hope he is. But whether Brian Flores is successful in this lawsuit and winning it or not, Brian Flores is going is he is going to change the game. I am so proud of him. He simply said enough was enough. Head black head coaches deserve a hell of a lot more of an equal opportunity as white head co- as white coaches do in the NFL. And and the NFL, the NFL can do this all they want. The NFL can can put in racism on the back of their end zones. They can support players all they want to as far as so, as far as social justice issues go. But when you do all of that, but yet you still have systemic racism going on within your interviewing process and your head coaching ranks in your industry that shows that shows how hypocritical or that shows how contradicting and insulting and disrespectful you are to a lot of black people more specifically black head coaching or black offensive coordinator coordinators or black head coaching candidates in the NFL and it's just that damn simple. Nothing more, nothing less than that. But next up, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm going to be brief with this. The Kansas City Chiefs, in my opinion, their window to win a championship is closing, and it's closing really, really fast. I say that for this reason. You have eight teams in the AFC. Ch- Chargers, Colts, Bills, the Baltimore Ravens, the Pittsburgh Steelers, when they get the quarterback that they need to get, the the New England Patriots, the Denver Broncos, when they get their quarterback that they want to get, the and, and the Las Vegas Raiders. All of those teams right there either need to get their rosters healthy or they just need to get the right quarterback. And they will be in and all of those teams will be in position to compete in the AFC for a championship next season, which is why I said the Chiefs' chances of competing for a Lombardi or competing or competing for Lombardi trophies down the line is going to start to shrink. Why? Because Patrick Mahomes' contract is coming up soon. And eventually you're not going to be able to keep a Travis Kelsey. You're not going to be able to keep a Tyreek Hill. You're not going to be able to keep a Chris Jones. So with all of these teams and these quarterbacks coming back, with all of these rosters getting healthy, with 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 Patrick Mahomes' contract coming up as far as as far as 
not being able to keep certain guys, the Chiefs' window is going to start to close, and it's going to start to close really, really soon, not only within the conference, but but within the Chiefs' own division in the AFC West. Next up, the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo. Bottom line is just simply this. We all know Jimmy G is going to get traded. Jimmy G's career ended in San Francisco the way it was supposed to end with that with that game-stealing interception that he threw in the NFC Championship game. We all know Jimmy G can win games. He's going to end up getting traded to a team that is going to be able to put him in position to win, whether it be the Steelers, the Broncos, the Tennessee Titans, the Indianapolis Colts, whoever. Jimmy G is going to end up in a situation where he's going to be able to win football games, and he's going to be on a football team that where he's not going to have to carry the load. So Jimmy G's career ended the way that it was supposed to in San Francisco. Next up, I want to talk a little NBA real quick. I watched the Dallas Mavericks take on, excuse me, I watched the Dallas Mavericks take on the Golden State Warriors last week. And I watched Luka Doncic. And there there were a few moments where Luka Doncic was on the sideline and he just looked, he just looked exhausted and he looked tired. And my whole thing about the Dallas Mavericks is the Dallas Mavericks need to go get Bradley Beal. I've been saying this for the longest time. The Wizards are not winning anything with Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal just came off of a season where he was the leading scorer in the NBA. Bradley Beal needs to go to the Dallas Mavericks. Dallas needs him. If I'm the Dallas Mavericks, I give up a Dorian Finney-Smith, a Jalen Brunson, Kristaps Porzingis, and a first-round pick for 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 Bradley Beal in a heartbeat. But Bradley, the Dallas Mavericks need a guy like Bradley Beal. They need him, and they need him now because if because the the longer Dallas goes without getting a without getting a second star to help out Bradley Beal. Or, 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 excuse me, uh, the, the longer Dallas goes without getting another star to help out Luka Doncic, at some point, Luka's going to leave. So Dallas needs to get on the phone and call the Washington Wizards and ask them, what do you want for Bradley Beal? And give it to him. Bradley Beal and Luka Doncic would be scary in the, in, in the Western Conference. Just throwing that out there. But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. Earlier on in the show, I talked about Jimmy Garoppolo and how his his career and his tenure in San Francisco was meant to end the way that it ended. With that being said, I bring up the year 2013. Why do I bring up the year 2013? Because that is the year that then 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick and then San Francisco 49ers head coach Jim Harbaugh who by the way is interviewing for the for the Minnesota Vikings head coaching job and he more than likely will get it the 49ers went up against Joe Flacco John Harbaugh Ray Lewis and the Baltimore Ravens as we all know the first half of that game the Ravens dominated it absolutely destroyed San Francisco's second half starts lights go out 49ers end up roaring back because of it they almost pull off the they almost pull off the comeback victory but they fall short Ravens end up hanging on and and winning the game and becoming Super Bowl 47 champions but what if let's flip the script what if the 49ers actually win that game if they win that game does Jim Harbaugh actually leave to go back to college and coach the Michigan Wolverines. I don't think he does. 
Maybe he he probably still does, but I also think that him and Trent Bulky try to make it work. I honestly think they try to make it work. I honestly think that him, Jed York, excuse me, um, I, I honestly think that Trent Bulky, Jed York, and Jim Harbaugh all probably sit in a room together and they try to hash it out. But maybe he still ends up leaving anyway. And who's to say that if the, if the 49ers win that Super Bowl, that Colin Kaepernick still isn't probably a 49er, a 49er even till this day. His career probably turns out totally different than what it actually than what it ultimately turned out to be. But that's why we will never know. And that's why this is what if. One more thing before I go, and I forgot to mention this earlier. Based off of all of this information coming out about Stephen Ross and Jimmy Haslam offering their head coaches money to tank games, it would not surprise me one damn bit if at some point down the line, Jimmy Haslam and or Stephen Ross are forced by the league or forced by very, very, very high-ranking people around the league to give up ownership of their football teams. It would not surprise me one damn bit if that happens because it is embarrassing and, and it is pathetic that the NFL would allow something like that to happen with their owners and they would allow something like that to go on. So again, it would not surprise me if that happens. Not saying that it will, but it would not surprise me if it does happen. But thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm Just Saying Podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins here. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I'm out. Peace.